KMTT, Kimitzion Tesei Torah. You are listening to the Erev Shabbat program, Erev Shabbat Kodesh, Parashat Tetzaveh, Parashat Zachor, Yudadar. And the Erev Shabbat program is Lilui Nishmat Shlomo Yosef Ben Chaim Shmuel, and I'm Jonathan Snowbell. Once again, we face our regular dilemmas, though they're not real dilemmas. Parashat Tetzaveh, Parashat Zachor, it's Purim next week. What do we talk about? talk about the weather, of course. What does that mean? Here in Israel, we're facing one of the worst uh, water crises, crises in its history, probably the worst. And probably things can't get better. Talking about the Kinneret being five meters below being full. It's only going to get worse over the summer, as much as uh, rain that we've had in the last couple of weeks and the snow that will melt in from the Hermon and channel into into the Kinneret. But it's been a dry season. been very dry. We've gone through a winter in which had to heat very little, had to take out umbrellas very little. And the Israeli population is only getting bigger. The water demands will only get higher. And the bottom line is that as a human state of human beings it is the responsibility of the government to find other solutions for the water supply besides the Kinneret we are religious people the government is not but even as religious people we have a responsibility to take care of ourselves not because we don't believe in God's ability to bring rain but because we believe in our responsibility to take care of ourselves when we can. That is the, all the famous jokes and stories that everybody knows in different variations about the person who's stuck in a flood and the, they send him a boat, they send him a this, they send him a helicopter, and each time he says, no, I'm waiting for God to send me, to save me, and then when he eventually dies and succumbs to drowning and he faces God in the afterlife, he said, God, why didn't you save me? And he goes, what do you mean? I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. God gives us the ability to take care of ourselves. That's an important thing unto itself. And we have to take that responsibility seriously. Of course, if we take, for example, I'm not a water expert, but if we desalinate water and that helps us solve our water supply, and of course there are many other things that have to be done about responsible water management, but then the Kinneret will fill up, and not only will the Kinneret fill up, but maybe we could even save Yamamelech as well. All that being said, there's been hardly any rain, and as religious people, the lack of rain is not viewed in a positive manner vis-a-vis our relationship with God. And a dry 
winter is dry spiritually. It's dry spiritually until we intervene with our prayers. And our prayers, we try to enhance our spirituality, or enhance our relationship with God, or perhaps evaluate our relationship with God and see where we have to improve things. And we pr- we try to pray and hope the situation will be solved, improved. In any case, the last two weekends on Shabbat, we were, well, when, when, when the first weekend on Shabbat and the last weekend it was more Friday and Sunday, we were witness to amazing downpours. What does amazing downpours mean? Amazing downpours for that for us in Israel means it just rained the whole day. At times it rained hard, and at times it just rained steadily. And this winter it's been completely non-existent, that type of rain. When it rained, it rained for a few minutes, or an hour, not very hard. Here a day where you just looked outside and it was raining and raining and raining and raining and coming down hard, and at times it was hail. It was raining and raining and raining. It was remarkable. And suddenly, over one rainfall, and again, not that this solves the problem, not in the short term and not in the long term, the keen air, it went up some 30-something centimeters. The average rainfall switched from being under, well under 50% to from 60 to 80%, depending on the area of the country. Perhaps we're not at the end of the rainy season either. Perhaps we'll even meet the, meet, meet the averages. And once again, not that meeting the average solves the problem by any stretch of the imagination. But this feeling of, wow, over two days the numbers could change so drastically, a dent could be made, is a feeling, had a remarkable feeling of hope. Wow, things could change. When things look bleak and incorrectable, the rain came and changed the numbers drastically. And again, it's a dent. It's not a solution. It's not the crisis isn't over. But it was a dent. When you feel before that that there's no way of even making a dent, and a dent is made, that's cause for hope that's cause for not giving up and and while while this was this process was going through my head when i went through the tefillah of that we we've been saying throughout the winter of us for 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 the lack of rain the extra tefillah and one of the lines is va'asela tikva shalom and give to it hope and an end, a peaceful end. The hope, the word hope, st- stood out because it was just a feeling of hope. And hope is the opposite of giving up, yeush. And here was a feeling of yeush beforehand, and suddenly a feeling of hope. And that things can change. And that the reality is not 
static, and things can change. And again, things didn't change here drastically, but the the ability to see that rain could fall for an entire day, and and in a matter of three days, so much of the average of the rainfall could come in, really means that if you have one rainy year, but really rainy year, where three days a week it rains like that, you get all the water you need, the Kinneret will fill up, even Yamamel could go up some centimeters. And I remember, I think it was 1992, I was here in 10th grade, where the the dam in the Kinneret was opened up because there were floods in Tiberia and the in Yamamelech went up fifteen centimeters that year. And anybody who knows about Yamamelech knows that Yamamelech is shrinking and shrinking because we use the water of the Kinneret. In order to understand and experience hope, we have to understand the source of hope. Well, yeah, sure, there was a rainfall, but maybe it was a random rainfall, and it's not going to happen again. That's definitely possible. And in that sense, there's no sense of hope, and there's no reason not to give up if things are random. In order to experience hope, we have to understand the source of the hope. And this ultimately brings us to Purim. Purim is the source of of happiness on Purim is hope. Because we have to look and evaluate what Purim is all about and understand that by every stretch of the imagination there was no source for hope and that we were still saved. Why was there no, no source for hope? The way the Megillah describes in its subtle way, and Chazal describe explicitly, the Jewish people were on a course of assimilation. In Chazal's terms, they were nehenemi sudato shelotor They participated in the big party in Shushana Birah that Chashverosh made. The entire nation that was in Shushana Bira, including the Jews, the assimilation is doubled and tripled when we understand when Chazal say, they use the vessels of the Beit HaMikdash. The symbol of what being Jewish was, Beit HaMikdash, Israel, they were comfortable being at that Seuda despite the fact that it was celebrating, perhaps, the end of the Jewish people. Some Jewish people, at this time, historically, were back in Israel, trying to rebuild the old Jewish kingdom, trying to rebuild the Beit HaMikdash. But the Jews here in Shushan weren't. They were happy staying in Shushan, not going anywhere, becoming good Persian citizens. 
And on this background, it was easy for Haman, easy in the sense of spiritually, vis-a-vis God, to come and decide he's destroying all the Jewish people, because if the Jewish people do not want to be Jewish, if they're hell-bent on assimilating, then there's no need for the Jewish people anymore, and they can be done off with. They could be killed. Well, in any case, what happens in the Megillah happens. And as as tends to happen, the Jewish people, when all else fails, will realize their Jewishness when they're faith, when they're forced to face their Jewishness by their enemy. When they're pointed out and said, that's a Jew who has to be killed. Then they realize their Jewishness. They're, fo- they're forced to. And then the same Jews in Shushan who participated in Achashverosh's Suda. And again, the Jews in Shushan were apparently representative of what the Jewish feeling was at the time. They, the Yehudim, the Jews in Shushan, fast for three days. And Previously, they part- part- partook in the, fa- in, the, in the feast. Now they partake in fast. And they realize that they're different. They're Jewish. And the Jews throughout the kingdom accept the news of their imminent destruction differently than the people in their surroundings. The Jews mourn. And the Jews go into fasting, crying, mourning. They realize their difference. And that alone is the source of tshuva, which is necessary to turn the tables spiritually. When the Jews realize they are different, and they are different, and otherwise, in other words, when they realize that they have a relationship with God, they are a different people. That itself is the spark which can turn everything around, change the reality, and bring to the redemption. That's it. And that's the source of happiness on Purim. The source of happiness on Purim doesn't stem from the fact that we have potential to be great tzaddikim who learn a lot and do a lot of mitzvot. We might have that potential. But that's a potential that demands action. If we don't fulfill that potential in any way, shape, or form, then the realizing that potential, the existence of the potential, is only depressing, because where are we and where is our potential? But Purim doesn't say that. Purim says, just by the fact that you realize that you're a Jew and you have some sort of special essence to you, there's a relationship with God. And there's no reason to run away from your Judaism. 
That is the spark of redemption in Purim, and that turns everything on its head from the Jews being destroyed to the Jews destroying their enemies, and all the things that turn on themselves on their heads on Purim v'na'afochu, everything turned upside down on Purim. Upside down. Not like I described at the beginning, rain that made a dent, but here we're not talking about a dent, here we're talking about a revolution. 180 degrees. And I think, and I want to say this briefly, and I've said this in the past, but I, I want to say it again. This is, this is the understanding of getting drunk on Purim. Getting drunk is no big honor. In the yeshiva circles, often, not our yeshiva, but in yeshiva sh- circles in general, getting drunk on Purim is seen as reaching new heights of understanding and God and coming close to God. Coming close might be true, but we'll explain in a minute. Coming close through the back door. There is nothing farther away from God than a drunk person. The Torah is very clear about its attitude to drinking. The Kohanim, who are close to uh, close to God and their, and their worship of God in the Beit HaMikdash, are prohibited from drinking. A Nazir, a regular human being, even a non-Kohan who wants to come closer to God, removes himself from wine. We all understand what wine and drinking does. It removes our knowledge. It takes away our brain. And we use our brain in our Avodat Hashem. We learn Torah. We understand God more. The mitzvah of... The first mitzvah in the Ramam is Leidat Hashem, to understand, to know God. And that demands knowledge, it, it demands brain power. And when we drink, we remove our brain power. And that's the first the first element necessary for Avodat Hashem, and here we are taking it away on Purim. And by taking it away, we're saying that there is a relationship with God. Even when we're not big tzaddikim, we're not big talmidei chachamim, when we're missing that main element of, of knowledge, of brain power, there still is room for a relationship, there's still room for a spark. There's still room to come close to God. And when we realize that, that as far as we can be from God, whether on a national level like the Jews on Purim, who are far and assimilated from God, who are far from God and assimilated, there is an ability to get that spark in and redeem themselves, as individuals, we also have that potential, that as far away as we can be from God, and this is symbolized by the the drunken state on Purim, things can change. There is room for hope. There is room for a spark. And that is the source of, of, of happiness on Purim. Purim says loudly and clearly, there is no room for giving up. Ein makom li'eush, something that Rabbi Nachman mi Breslev really, really, really popularized, something he certainly deserves credit for. There is room for hope. As a nation, there is room for hope as individuals. No matter how far away we are, there is a potential for that spark and there's a potential for a 180-degree turnaround. And on that note, 
we wish everybody a happy and meaningful Purim and remind everybody that keep on hoping is not just some sort of saying. It is real. There is reason for it. Keep on hoping. Don't give up. Shabbat Shalom.